Well, I guess in some ways, this is the meeting of the Dead Mothers Club. Yes. <laughs> my, brother, my brothers and I often talk about this when we meet people. They're another member of the Dead Mothers Club. <laughs> it's getting bigger and bigger <laughs> as we get older and older. As we get older. Well, I think the, um, the question today we've been talking about is each of us have our own, um, uh, we're in the middle of different parts of thinking about the dying process and thinking about aging, and, and in a way we thought it might be a good idea just to kind of put that out into the, into the air. Um, I was just going to say I have, uh, I'm in kind of the middle of uh, my own parents who are uh, 98 and 92, uh, and they are declining in their uh, stalwart and gentle way, I would say. And um, I, I was thinking about what it's taken as I watch, you know, as, as us as a family, um, kind of each of us with our different sensitivities and practice at kind of being around uh, parents who have been so important in the life of this family and to experience them declining. But I was thinking about, you know, my own experience of... Um, I think I'm somewhat fortunate because I have a, I would call a, a father who is kind of a learning partner with me. And he has an ability, I think, to um, both bring up things and be very present in exchanges around things that are, you know, very personal. You know, like what he thinks about um, death is like, what he fears, what he's, what it's like to lose your hearing, what it's like to lose your vision, what it's like to kind of uh, lose language in some ways from after you lose kind of the combination of your sensory experience. But I think what I find very useful in, in kind of being along the ride here with my parents at this point in time is their ability to uh, be open to talking about what they're experiencing and also that they are uh, verbal. They, they're engaged, they're interested in kind of being uh, a part of uh, observing, kind of being in a relationship around observing the reality of what, what's going on. And I think, to be frank, it's really important to me because I think I've been so, I've spent a lifetime, I'm 80, excuse me, I'm 86, I'm 68, and um, are, I'm very, have spent a lifetime so sensitive to death, with the early death of a mother, and we were joking about a dead mother's club, but I mean, there's a reality to how much that resonates through uh, a lifetime. And you know, I think what it's taken, I was thinking about what has uh, family systems theory contributed to being at a point in life with a parent uh, and being not afraid of my parents' death, not afraid of being, being, and in fact being curious about wanting to be present right now with them. And I don't lose energy when I'm around them. I really like it. And not all my siblings like it. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, and I can understand that they have a different kind of perspective on it. But that's kind of where I am. And, and I think in some ways for me, I, in my family, 
I think there, as they decline, certainly everybody has different a different kind of reaction to it. And I think in some ways that's a part of um, the challenge in a family of how do you how do you, how does when the anxiety is present and and people are not as much aware, let's say, of how anxious being around a declining parent who at one point was very vigorous and had a very different function in your life, in their life, in my life, what that's like to experience them not in that function. And in fact, you know, being compromised in ways that is unsettling, very unsettling, and uh, being present. So both you and Kathy had um, the death, the early death of mothers when you were, you know, young, in your early 20s. Yeah, late teens. And then there was apparently, I guess, no discussion, no communication like you're describing, Priscilla. I don't know, Kathy, what you, do you want to put something in about the contrast between the way you might deal with it now and the way, and what was the impact of what happened to you early on when there was a lack of communication? That's a, that's a great starting question. It's, and losing a mother when you're 18 and being so frightened of the process that you never wanted to talk about it or think about it or explore it does set a fear level in your brain, I think, that stays for a long time. But in the last four years, my file folder on death has gotten huge. <laughs> I've got, I must have seven books on my nightstand about death. Dying uh, to talk about I'm death. Dying to talk about death. And it's just getting fuller and fuller. Everything from Ram Dass is videotapes on the experience of meeting one's own death thoughtfully to the five invitations, um, which is an excellent book on kind of being present with others' death and with your own death. So I am in the inquisitive, learn as much as you can to try and quiet the fear down. And it's somewhat working. It's not completely, um, it's not completely working, but but the more I read, the more I watch videos, the more I talk to people, who are, because of a diagnosis, are dealing with perhaps a sooner death. Um, I know that this inquiry will continue, and I am incrementally less frightened. Now, I don't know whether that's neurofeedback or it's just research mm -hmm. and presence with people who are dealing with it. But it was a huge... My old file drawer had no place for death. <laughs> I was not going to think about it. And so this, this has been a real uh, inquiry. And there's a part of it that's kind of fun, <laughs> which I know. Weird. Death is kind of fun. Dying fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying to have Curious. fun with this death. But I mean, listening to you, Priscilla, it does sound... Maybe it sounds heartwarming. You know, it's really heartening to know that you can walk with your parent and be that close to them. You know, so you're, 
the only one among us who still has a living parent to walk with and to use knowledge Kathy has friends I have friends who've lost their husbands and and so those are challenging but not it's nothing like what you're talking about where you could be so close and I'm wondering if that's what you're seeking Kathy in having this kind of literary adventure to learn all the different ways of being able to be close to people in the dying process and not get uptight like and again I don't know for each of you but I know for me when uh, I had parental loss when I was 10 and then uh, my mother died uh, when I was 33 so I was older I had two children so it was different she was in Portland Oregon so but it was this lack of communication the inability to prepare for an emotional shockwave or a reaction to loss that I think triggers this fear thing where you're not sure how to be close to people and allow them to tell you their truth I guess they're and that's what I hear from Priscilla and that's what I hear from you that I wonder, the question is, is your life different if you have early, up-close, real experience of death, like if you lived on a farm and you saw animals born and dying, or you had people that died not in hospitals, but on the, you know, in the bedroom upstairs, and it was much more a part of your life. For me, it was all people went to a hospital, you didn't see them again, you weren't with them when they died. And, I mean, I can only measure the, the amount of reactivity that when a pet dies, how even frightening that was when all, you know, cats and dogs died. And, and the amount of upset, physical upset for being present, even though it was the right thing to do. So I wonder if the experience, if, if a more natural experience of living life on a farm or in would have served me better than to have been so frightened of it for so long. I mean, that's where I'm trying to work my back, my way back to. I'm doing it with books and research. You're doing it up close with personal, um, both of you with more personal experiences. I am really trying to quiet my fear with, with curiosity, I guess, and research. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to work. Well, I, I kind of see it, you know, from my own view, as I said, as a communication problem that my grandmother, when my grandfather was dying, said to me, I don't know what you're going to do with your grandfather after I die. And I'm like, well, what problem could that be? <laughs> what kind of problem could happen when you die? I didn't understand. Yeah. I didn't understand. And it was, that was yeah. 1973. And then my grandmother died, and all of a sudden, everything that she did to organize the family was left undone. There wasn't anyone who was competent to do all the tasks. And um, I had two small children and, um, you know, a, a shaky marriage and a grandfather who had tremendous difficulties after his wife's death functioning. And then I had two brothers who also had tremendous difficulties functioning, and I had no way to prepare myself. So that communication of what are you up against in terms of the function that this person has in your life, 
what function did your mother have in your life that was drastically altered? And I think that's what creates the shockwave and creates this fear that things are going to come unglued again and we're all going to be spinning out when the death happens. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I wonder what, I, I've often wondered, so why is death so scary? Because everybody dies, everybody, you know, it's like part of life, kind of as you were saying, everything. Mm -hmm. What makes it so disturbing? And I, and I was thinking about this, one of the things that I did in kind of trying to understand more what I perceived as my death reaction is to really appreciate the multi-generational history of it, mm -hmm. which was there were deaths, young deaths, my great-grandfather by lightning when my grandfather was eight or was, was six years old. You know, these deaths in my grandmother's family where young children died, there, there was just a lot of death that disturbed the system's functioning in such profound ways. And I think that disturbance, that alertness in the history is part of what gets set in motion. Mm -hmm. You know, that when, so when I experienced my little cutoff family kind of experienced the death of a mother, you know, it was so dis, it, it was so unmooring in ways that you, that I took personally as if it was somehow my problem in my life that was the problem not that the system itself was kind of unglued mm -hmm. you know and that everyone was kind of making their adjustments that they could i didn't have a realistic picture beyond my own emotional fear or emotional disturbed state i wasn't fear as much it was more depressed shut down worried where's life what's life about here yeah. you know it's unmoored is the best way i would say it and that i that's when i think about it now what this over time has bowen theory contributed meaning what does it take to have relationships in the present where you where it is as good a relationship as you can have with another person where they're in their lane you're in yours and you really appreciate the other person for who they are and know how important they are to you but you can live your life and they can die and it's okay well it's okay if the functioning of the person if there's somebody to take their functional role and i, I remember dr bowen used to say well you know if your husband dies you've got a mailman that comes <laughs> use the mailman and that would be like wait no that's not right. it's gonna take a lot dog. more than the mailman or a dog you know and then that's when i also started thinking about the extended family and he would say that someone in your family will replace a parent when they die or your spouse someone will come along and they will fit with you and then I was thinking, well, it takes a long time sometimes, and you're, you can be out of sorts for quite a while. But if you knew what the issue was about death, that the system itself is going to be discombobulated, and that the, what is the functional role of this person in your life? You know, even mm -hmm. a dog, as you said, you know, a dog can have a tremendous functional role, and people can really take a nosedive. Or... They can use the memory of that dog and keep going. Maybe volunteer or help other dogs, or you know, there. There's a positive way to approach 
a coming loss. And then there's a negative way. And uh, I think that, at least for me, I'm thinking about my, my mother. It was very hard since I didn't know her that well after the age of 10. You know, I didn't know her as a person. And so trying to get to know her as a person by writing letters, writing up her life story, um, going to her grave in Portland, Oregon, these were all ways that I tried to get to know my mother. I met all the people in her wedding, you know, things like that to know who is this person. And um, I think all of that helped if you have lost contact with the mother person who's died. You belong to the early mother death club. <laughs> what do you do to bring them back alive? Yeah. And I think that's crucial. Somehow or another. Yeah, I think that that that's a very good way of saying that. I mean, I thought when my dad, as my dad is end, getting to the end of his life, I there are some cousins that are dad energy to okay. me. They are yeah. my dad's energy. And I knew that I'm going to develop a relationship before dad dies with these people so that they are a part of my life in a routine way. I mean, I thought about that. Yeah. And you're exactly right. It's who are these people that represent that yeah. important energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is, one can get that. <laughs> yeah, and you can <laughs> think about yourself. It. I know, some. I've heard you say, Kathy, a few times, like, this is things my mother would like. My mother would like it, you know, making the house nice, fixing the dinner, fighting people over, making a gorgeous dinner. This, the, you actually re-bring your mother alive again when you do these things. And she comes into your mind. And mm -hmm. There she is. So let me ask you the, the, the reverse of that. So I was in Chicago and... My really good friend was telling, we were talking about death, of course. And <laughs> would you Favorite talk about it? Right, of course. And he said, you know, it, he's an only child, and his, he hadn't seen his dad for two years, and then his dad died. And he didn't go to the funeral. Oh. And I, you know, I sat there, kind of really caught me, and I kind of lost my breath. And you wonder... With my own push to be present at, at the people I care about, Seth, to be present before they die and at the time, which I'm kind of scared about, you wonder, what's, what do you think, if you think systems, is the implication of having that kind of distance from important deaths? What do you think, what would you, what would you anticipate that, the best is that you could listen to him and, you know, didn't have to lecture him or just tell him the right thing to do or think or be. It's just, this is another person whose life is going in a certain direction. And it's interesting. I, I don't know what would happen to him, but I, I think, you know, accepting the story that people are able to tell you is the first step, you know, in... in getting to know there's no future that you can predict about this man um, because he had this conversation with you. It can make a difference in where he ends up thinking and going without you saying anything, just listening. I, I, and, and I did, and, and it, it really um, caught me. You know, imagine your, that happens and 
that memory or positive and that that life is just kind of exited out of your life without any kind of process mm -hmm. and i thought well wow. you know and i i was speechless so i didn't say anything but i was thinking about it mm -hmm. um and he didn't i mean he didn't see anything that seemed to be well you weren't talking to someone so when they died you wouldn't go to the funeral well you know why yeah. would you was that it's like early on when I didn't know what would happen when my grandmother said that I didn't know the implications of it right I mean you don't know unless somebody tells you a story or you you hear something I, I heard a sad story last night that uh, somebody called me up and told me that um, this man who was a billionaire was dying and he said I've done so well in my company but the saddest thing are my two sons I, I have no relationship with them so there's a man who spent his whole life making billions of dollars and he doesn't know how to relate to his sons and as he's entering this dying process that's what comes to his mind the relationship mm -hmm. yeah I think it's hard for people when they're disconnected in relationships to have any guess of what the implication of death is they don't i don't think people connect let me say when i was you know, when i was early on thinking about all this i did not connect my mother's death with my state of mind for six years wow yeah. i mean that's how disconnected you're the way your thinking is I mean, yeah. you don't put your life together as if it's related to you. It's dumbfounding. Think back now that I thought that. But, you know, you live a life that's kind of in a spin. And it's somehow you see it as your problem that's not connected to anything. Which is, you know, that's your run-of-the-mill depression or, you know, it's not that odd. And I think what, how you... I remember the first time that it was introduced that my mother's death may be related to my emotional state. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of funny. But it was like such an aha. It was such a pivot point. Such yeah. a pivot point. It was like, oh, my goodness, of course. Yeah. For, for people who don't or haven't thought about systems, for both of you, you described a state of mind at a time of important death and then the um, change as you came to understand the role that significant death played in your life. How would you describe, just, you know, for people who don't understand systems that much, kind of what happens either in the brain or in what is it that shifts I, I think the other way, I was thinking of the other way, what goes into how kind of your psychology, what goes into how you see the world and how much, I think what Bowen theory contributes or systems theory contributes is that your psychology is reflecting your place in the system. So there's a system there is a system way of thinking about individual psychology that to me is the link between you know how do you under how do you understand this young 28 year old person who did not com compute 
that the death of her mother had anything to do with her. It had to do with a lot of cutoff in the family. It had a lot of cutoff in my life. It had to do with the degree to which the system was disturbed and was distant. That was what was going on in my mind. <laughs> it's almost the same. It's almost yeah. like the synchrony to it. And as you begin to put together, oh, this is, these are the ways the system is working. You know, my mother, you know, my father remarries. Things are shifting in that world, adding all these new people. You know, not having any contact with my mother's family or reestablishing contact with my mother's family. It was like a, just an eye-opening experience of really having people that kind of re represented my mother that started... All of these relationships started simply stabilizing my life. Mm -hmm. And I felt better. I wasn't depressed. I would, there were things that corresponded to what happened in the relationship system in my emotional psychology, Yes, mm -hmm. That's what, kind of how, what would yeah, you well, say, Andrea? Yeah. I was thinking that um, it's really super hard to understand that you're part of the system. The medical model, everything is against you seeing the system and its impact on you. My brother said, um, he, he said, why should I care that my mother died? You know, <laughs> And you know, because last time I saw her or really knew her, I was seven. And if I didn't need her then, I don't need her now. And she's not important. So he had this whole kind of skyscraper built up of, of denial, even though he was admitted to a psychiatric hospital three days before she died. That that didn't, even when pointed out, that didn't fit. So I would, ha I have this thesis that the more dependent you are on people, almost at a nonverbal level, the harder it is to talk about the way that you need them or see them in a realistic way. It just becomes, the greater the dependency, the less you're able to see what's going on. Cause say say that in a different way. Can you the say greater, that? that like my brother had a greater need for a mother, and when she left, when he was seven, he developed a barrier against seeing her importance. The the need that he had for her went into this uh, building a wall. You know, just building a wall between me. I don't need my mother, and that seven year old voice is right. That's what I believe, and so there's no. There's, you know, I, my brother and I still talk about this. He still will not accept, like Priscilla accepts, that, you know, that the death of the mother had something to do with her mood, her depression. And my brother had a psychotic episode at the death of my mother, and he still can't see the connection. So I, the only way I see it is that you're looking to survive, and you can only take in what is going to help you survive. And it to him, it didn't seem to be useful to bring in that he needed his mother when she left. And so he took this other position. I think Bowen used to call it um, pseudo-independence, that the further down you were in terms of emotional maturity, the more you denied your dependency on others. Mm -hmm. The way I started to see it was my first supervisor, Bud Andre, said, Oh, you're spending all your time with your grandfather here, and, and what are you going to do with your life when he dies? What's going to happen to you when your grandfather dies? And I was like, oh, my God. 
I don't even know who these circles and squares are up here. <laughs> They're like, these are my great aunts, he tells me. I didn't know those sisters and my grandmothers were my great aunts. I didn't think they had anything to do with me. I thought they had to do with my grandmother. So that's how your life is segmented into the things that you can become aware of and someone can come along and even just listen to your story. And that can change your view of your life. But I, I don't know what can, can movies do it? Can books do it? What, what's the spark that changes your view of the system that you're in? That becomes more realistic than full of death denial. Well, I think to, you know, to turn this around the other side, I've thought about more how much death has taught me and how much my, in some ways, my mother's death has been the force field of learning that it's expanded into many other things. And I think is, you know, I can't, I have to say, I, my brothers and I kind of joke about this, about how fortunate we are to have lost a mother. Because, you know, once you lose a mother, you can do anything. I mean, what the heck could else happen? <laughs> you can lose your father. You can lose your dad. Oh, well. I mean, it's, but there's something about it that I think develops more robustness if you yeah. take it as an opportunity. And that's kind of where I've come out on. And, and I still, I mean, I guess to this day, I'm kind of coming back around to my own dad. You know, I, I think the exchange and he you know, between us uh, and has so uh, expanded kind of my way of thinking about the moment with everybody in a way. It's just that, that that's been my advantage and the idea that death, the process of dying and death can be such a brilliant teacher, and um, it, it provides so much, um, what's the word? It provides so much opportunity for learning about relationships, about what's kind of, about your physiology, you know, about friendship, about family. I saw that when my uncle died. What an opportunity. I would never, that's, I think, what all the reading is about. I'm watching and looking out for how people have used it as an opportunity to improve their life, whether they have a long amount of time or a short amount of time. So that's what I am really studying, is how people have used death positively and moved their life along as kind of a model for things I'd like to do. And um, it, it it makes it, I know this sounds crazy, but it makes it both intriguing and fun to see it that way. And hopefully it'll move the needle from fear to, you know, a better life if, if I can keep my mind that way. Hope so. So your mind, you're saying, you, your mind is set on, uh, um, I want to be present to people and walk along with them and... How can I do that and not generate any fear for, you know, in the relationship that, yeah, you're going to die tomorrow, but I'm not afraid of that, and I can walk with you. 
through the shadow of the who valley would, of death, but I'm coming out the other side. <laughs> who would have ever thought that you would have learned so much from your father and what we benefit from hearing what you've learned from mm -hmm. your father and the tapes you've done and listening to how he's planned his death and how he talks. So we benefited from that. But I've benefited from my uncle's death and what he has given us is a new family configuration that spends time together. A lot of people have moved to live together. I mean, who would have thought? So I'm looking for what it can provide, not the fear. That's what it is. How do people use death to move their life along? It's a good ending. That's a great ending. <laughs> From the Dead Mother's Club. <laughs>